0: Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, and by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners, with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence.
1: Support is also provided by members like you, and for that, we offer our gratitude, along with some awesome member-only content. You can find out more about these member benefits at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words.
0: This is the Friday version of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where host Landis Wade and his author guests get under the covers.
1: That's right. We get in and out because there are just too many interesting books and engaging authors in the region and not enough time.
0: And just like the longer version of the show, you'll learn interesting facts about the authors and their books, and the authors will read their work.
1: And also, like the longer version, you will find images, links, and information about the authors in the show notes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. We are a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network, a uh, collection of Charlotte podcasts produced in and centering around the Queen City, and also a proud member of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, broadcasting radio shows and podcasts about authors to a worldwide audience. I'm Landis Wade, the producer and host of this podcast. I'm a recovering trial lawyer. I'm the author of a trilogy of books where lawyers save Christmas, kind of a cross between My Cousin Vinny and Miracle on 34th Street, and I write stories, and I love books, and I love dogs, and I love beaches and mountains and fly fishing and sports and reading and more, and also love getting under the covers with my authors. So let's get to it. Hey, listeners, welcome to this uh, Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast. Uh, I'm visiting today with uh, author and teacher Charles Israel and uh, talking about his poetry chat book, Stacking Weather, and his other publications of prose and poetry. The chat book, Stacking Weather, features the poem VFW Knight, winner of the Flip Kelly Poetry Prize. Mari Creech, author of Paper Cathedrals and Field Knowledge, says of Stacking Weather that Charles Israel performs an impressive balancing act supporting the precarious gifts of birth and fatherhood against the insistent gravities of age and death. Charles is an assistant professor in the English department at Queen's University in Charlotte, and in that role, he's taught professional writing, fiction, creative nonfiction, and poetry writing, and he's used workshop methods and uh, process-oriented approaches. In addition to Charles reading VFW night, we're going to have fun today with him reading several other short pieces that he's written uh, and that have been published, both poetry and prose, we're gonna cram a lot of great content in the short version of the podcast. Charles, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Landis. I'm uh, glad to be here. Big fan.
1: Yeah, yeah. thank you. I Appreciate it. And uh, we're doing this thing remotely, right? It's going to come out in September, but we're we're staying COVID safe here. Uh, before we get into some of your uh, some of your readings here, um, I noticed in looking uh, doing a little research here that you've been a very versatile writer in addition to your Poetry and Prose, you've been a contract writer, a proposal writer, a proofreader, a freelance business editor, a reporter, and an indexer. And I guess my question is, how does that background help you as a poet and a prose writer?
2: Yeah, great question. Well, you know, what happened for me was I came to doing creative writing after some of those things. I still do some contract writing, but the journalism especially I did earlier, and um, the other professional writing bits, and you know, it kinda, it's kind of—it's always good to be able to say to students, "I've made my uh, living with my pen. So I had a lot of really good practical knowledge, and but the but the desire to write the poems and the stories was always there, and underneath that was the that was the deep water.
1: So I'm just curious, what? what... What the hell is an indexer anyway?
2: <laughs> I know. And listen, know. and it was a, it was a plum job at National Geographic, and people kind of worked their way up. But the the magazine prided itself on accessibility to readers, and so we published the index. I think starting maybe even in the for about a hundred years, and so that if you sort of remembered reading a, a story about the Blue Ridge Parkway. Or the Anasazi Indians, but you couldn't remember what issue you would just go to the index, and it was uh, published. It was uh, given given free, but you received a copy of it if you were a subscriber.
1: Yeah, well, that's nice. That probably taught you some uh, organizational skills, perhaps when you're thinking about uh, your your prose pieces and uh, how you're going to map out some of your writing.
2: Yeah, and there are a couple of uh, index poems, and oh. it, it, yeah, in the in the book, and and also in the upcoming, or the, the manuscript that I have out now, it, it helped me because it's, you know, it's about nouns.
1: All right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a neophyte here. What is an index poem? Tell me, tell me.
2: Right. I had a thought kind of based on family stories and also a, a family history and just my own imagination. I think I had a, had a relative whom I never met and her name was Cinderella. Cinderella, Israel, and they just went from there. Okay. And she apparently enjoyed uh, attending funerals of okay. people right. that she may or may not have known.
1: All right. Okay. A couple of fun facts about you before getting your first read. You played high school tennis. You told me you had a, you had a record in eighth grade, right? What, what was your record?
2: So in the midst of middle school, it's always good to stand out um, physically if you can. It seems to be important. And I've been doing sit-ups and push-ups daily. And so the, it was a, like a presidential physical fitness award, and the challenge was do as many sit-ups as you can. And I, I kept going after my normal 25 and a little over 300, and I was fine, but man, I paid for it the next day. But I got a little bit of uh, recognition the next day in yeah. the hallway.
1: Yeah, so we don't see in your bio published here, published there, published here, published there. And I did 314 sit-ups That's in right. middle school. You need to add that, Charles. Huh? That's right. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and your first publication, although your master of fine arts was in fiction, uh, was was a poem, right? So you're right. you're drawn you're drawn to poetry. Yeah, I am. Uh, okay. Well, let's do let's do this um, before we get under the covers here and start reading some of these uh, great works you've got. Let's talk about the book cover of Stacking Weather. Um, it's uh. You, you, sometimes you can tell, you know, book by its cover. Uh, this looks like it. Uh, well, you tell me what we're looking at here.
2: Yes, this is a file photo, and it's of Lake Yumtchakso, which is a, sa- a lake, maybe about a hundred miles west of Lhasa in Tibet. And on a Queens trip, I, a faculty member at Queens, we led. I was one of the leaders of a um, trip to China and Tibet, and we we drove around this lake. And it's, well, I can't say it's that blue as it is in the photo. You're so close to the, um, you're closer to the sun. You're about, I don't know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen thousand 14,000 feet up. The colors are more intense. And I remember um, the blueness of that lake. And there is, I believe, a dwelling also near the edge of the lake, and you notice the cliffs as well, so. Yeah, it was very memorable for me.
1: Yeah, it looks like there's a lot of blue in there. It looks like if uh, if we were close, I mean, this would be almost like a uh, deep deep water, um, almost glacial type uh, environment. There, uh, very stark edges too. I mean, not not much of a population except for that one <laughs> one house there. Yeah, you,
2: you get you get it by the tree line. That can happen. That's right. Yeah, and yeah, and there are several poems in the book that are that reference the, the
1: color blue. Alright, were well, you ready to get under the covers? I am. Sounds good. Hey listeners, we'll be getting under the covers in just a moment, but first I'd like to thank our episode sponsor, Carrie Knowles. She's the 2014 North Carolina Piedmont laureate for short fiction. Carrie is an award-winning writer of books and stories who also helps writers with their craft. Her latest gift to writers comes in the form of a book published by Al Canyon Press called A Self-Guided Workbook and Gentle Tour on learning how to write stories from start to finish. I read it, and I plan to read it again because I'm sure it will make me a better writer. Find out more about Carrie and how to get her writing book at cjainwork.com. That's C-J-A-N-E-W-R-K dot Also, if you'd like to support your uh, favorite local independent bookstore and get audiobooks at the same time, uh, you can join Libro.fm. That's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M. And if you use the promo code Charlotte Reader, that's all one word, you may not be from Charlotte, but you can still be a Charlotte reader to get this benefit. When you use that promo code, you're going to get uh, two books for the price of one when you join at uh, Libro's $14.99 monthly membership level. This is a great way to support uh, your local independent bookstore and get uh, great audiobooks uh, at the same time. So check it out. All right, so we're here, uh, Charles Israel, we're doing uh, Stacking Weather, his uh, poetry chat book and some other writings that he's got here. the The feature poem here that got the... Uh, Flip Kelly Poetry Prize Award is VFW Night, and you're going to read that now. But beforehand, you want to just set that up and tell us, uh, you know, who's in this poem and uh, uh, what what inspired you.
2: Yes, it's the first
1: poem that I had
2: published after I'd moved to Charlotte, and it was based on an early scene when I was working downtown, and I noticed a man crossing the 277, going over 277. In his wheelchair, and it seemed so precarious. And I thought, a self-propelled wheelchair—he had to do it. Who would, who would elect to do this? And from there, I thought probably someone's grandfather. And then that made me think of my own grandfather. Who, um, and I had I had grandfathers and uncles who served in uh, World War II. So that was that was the leap.
1: Okay. Well, anytime you're ready, and we'll talk some more about
2: it. All right. VFW night. My grandfather takes the bridge over I-277 in his Vasily Evolution wheelchair. His chair gets five miles an hour, and we live five miles from his best spot, the Stonewall Jackson VFW. I think of him as Apollo pulling the sun home. At the VFW, there's dancing and Sinatra on the jukebox. One night a month, the men hire a lady singer. All the wars of the last century can hide in the rows of her alto. His pills are blue and chalky. He says they shoot some kind of happy under his skin. He takes them ever since he spent two months at the Sisters of Mercy psychiatric unit. I keep his white hair razored short the way he likes it. Inside the VFW, he keeps his garrison cap folded over his belt. For the trip home, Apollo puts on his cap. From my window, I see it coming under the orange nimbuses of the street lights.
1: Yeah, that's great, Charles. There's a lot of imagery here. I mean I I just I can see this <laughs> I've been over I two seventy seven and I see the bridge and, and that must have been a yeah, kind of almost a shock to the sense to see somebody just going across there in a uh, in a wheelchair. And I'm sure that got your mind going, right?
2: That's right. It was um, maybe my first month living in Charlotte. And at first it was disturbing, so worried about him. And then, of course, I thought, he's clearly done this before. And, you know, you're sitting there and there's the guardrail. And, of course, being on a in a wheelchair like that. You're kind of elevated, so he might have been higher above the guardrail than if he'd just been walking.
1: And so, how did this uh, take you, this scene, take you from there to your own lineage, your own father? And uh, I think you said his, his father.
2: He, he was going in the direction, he was going away from downtown, down Central Avenue, which I knew the, the Stonewall Jackson VFWs there. And I thought, maybe this guy's a veteran. Again, just that's the leap I made. And that, that made me think about family stories of grandfathers and great uncles who had been in, in World War II, actually, in Korea for that matter. And then from there, it just, it just went. And then the, the narrator had to be in there, too. I didn't just want him to be a lonely person crossing a bridge. I wanted to have another voice in there, a relationship.
1: Yeah, I love the connection to the uh, to the VFW and the fact that uh, music um, sort of absorbs the the pain of um, having served. All the wars of the last century can hide in the rose of her alto. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Well, um, that's great, and that's part of the uh, part of stacking weather. The other part of stacking weather with images. uh, We're talking about the book cover and everything. You've got a you got something that uh, kind of brings out this idea of setting. Uh, I'm going to give you, I'm going to let you say the title because it's Chinese. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's the title of the work? Mm-hmm. I have two Lucia's for lunch. Okay. Uh, and what does Lucia mean? It's a, it's a
2: prose poem. And the idea is to write the poem so that every line is a sentence. And it, it's in quatrains. So you tend to have two of them. So it's eight line poems. And I just wanted to have two of them.
1: Okay. That's great. And and the reason, one of the reasons I, you know, you and I selected this and at least I was drawn to it is the first line, the complete sentence kind of draws from the uh, title of the, of the chat book. Uh, Dreaming is the stacking of weather. Where did that idea come to you? Dreaming is the stacking of weather.
2: I spend a lot of time uh, in my writing thinking about, uh, well, am not thinking about dreams, but they're often based on dreams. Those powerful images that come to you kind of uh, when you're, um, when your defenses are down, and the meaningful stuff comes, and then I, th- I thought about the weather of of Tibet, and the thing about a dream is you want to make it as concrete as possible, because by definition it's not. So I thought, what if, what if you get something you could stack up, like you'd stack up books? I think that's where that metaphor came from. But I just, the metaphors often just come if I'm in the right frame of mind.
1: So like we've got all these books stacked on my shelf behind me here, we mm-hmm. can start stacking dreams as well and go pull mm-hmm. one out every time we need it. Mm-hmm. That's
2: right. And therefore it's, it's more accessible.
1: Okay. I, I'm yeah. going to make a shelf available for that. <laughs> That's
2: right.
1: <laughs> uh, all right. Well, look, if you would, if you'd read this for us, that'd be great. All right.
2: Two lucia's Shows for lunch. One. Dreaming is the stacking of weather. Lightning cracks the yoke under the eggshell sky. The sun wrinkles the air around the house and crimps the edge of our faces. When the wind comes in, fingers of rain follow across summer. On the projectionist's makeup table, a layer cake of movie cans, Buster Keaton's fingers splicing reel to reel. Two. Tonight at the cineplex, the itinerant, we watch a pilgrim to Jokan temple squat beside the lake of Yandraxo. She washes her hands and touches her forehead. The green wind leaves a brocade on the turquoise water. Cumulus clouds try to roll over the Himalayas. They can't unhinge themselves from the snow ridges. She eats fruit from the palm of Buddha.
1: So, Charles, one of the things we're going to talk about, we're going to have a special Patreon episode. Well, that actually came out in August. Uh, you and I sat down and talked about uh, writing and teaching, and part of your teaching has been travel. And uh, you know, this it looks like here you've traveled uh, uh, and you've gotten your inspiration from that. Talk about how travel has, uh, you know, given you uh, ideas to to write about.
2: Yeah, I. Um, this was from a trip we took to China and Tibet. I was one of the faculty leaders on a trip to Queens, and I've been lucky enough in the last 15 or 20 years to be able to go to various parts of Europe, uh, both with Queens trips and also with my family. And what I like so much about travel is uh, the, the sights are new and 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 it's It's better than that. They're they're thought provoking and they're um, they just kind of enliven my mind. Um, You know, I grew up in the South and I've lived here and I've also lived elsewhere. And after a while, things are very, you know, the sights, you know, you know, where all the light switches are when you go through your house. And uh, right. Even if it's dark. Right. And to get outside that um, is just uh, it's fascinating for me. It really helped my writing a lot.
1: Now, when you travel to all these places with your students, you're trying to sort of lead by example. Did you carry a notebook? Did you talk into your phone? Did you do something to record, um, you know, the, th- the thoughts that came in your mind when you saw these visions? How'd you know that? Yes,
2: <laughs> I sure did. Yeah, what did you use? Just get, you know, was it was a small notebook. It was a Moleskine, so it's got a it's got a hard cover, and they're like four by six I guess is the size so you can hold it in your hand and write and in certain places especially in China and also in Europe you're not allowed to take photographs so I'd sit there and describe what I saw you know the the axe on the wall or the or the altarpiece or the um, the Buddha figurines and the temples because I because I couldn't take a photograph of it and sometimes there weren't postcards available either so I wanted to write it down and then I had another uh, moleskin that I just recorded, you know, more poetic images or how I was feeling and thinking at the time. So I had the reporter notebook that my students could watch me, and then I have my other notebook that I'd write in early in the morning or late at night when I wasn't around them.
1: All right, well, that's great. We're going to shift real quick here to uh, to prose because you're not just a poet. Uh, you not only uh, teach prose writing, but you also uh, right, and you've been published in that regard. And you wrote a piece called Ask a Crow. This was published in the Adirondack Review in fall of 2019. So, uh, so whenever you're ready.
2: Ask a Crow. It used to be her favorite cologne, so I splashed some on. I look out the bathroom window across Division Street. The building across the street has a huge flat rooftop that takes up too much of my vista. On the rooftop, a wooden water tank and there under it lies the bow for an upright base. Also, there's a coffee cup turned cistern from which a crow bobs and drinks. The cologne's extracted from a small alpine flower, speck, a smell that penetrates. As a punishment during the Dark Ages, they'd lock people in barns where they were hanging speck flowers to dry. After release, the person could still be identified as guilty for weeks by the smell. Chief crimes for the speck barn were the theft of cattle or sheep and also adultery. Last weekend, to try to get things right, we drove all the way around the lake to a rundown cottage on the Michigan side of Lake Michigan. We talked about what to eat and drink, and then we ate and drank. The place had two bedrooms. In the living room, we stood at the locked sliding glass doors. Lake and sky filled the glass. The sun rose and set two times, bursting from the watery horizon, then falling into it. From the only other room in our apartment, the big room with its one big window, I hear her, Are you going to leave me like this? Are you going to leave me like this? Like the chorus of some old soul tune, one with the verses understood. She's standing on the windowsill, a hand and a foot in each corner. She turns her head. Her face is folded in on itself like origami. I grab her by the waist. With my face pressed into her back, I hear her breathing hard. Wait a minute, she says. Is that my bow? She jumps down to check the base case for her bow. I'd felt bad the second I released it but then, as it sailed over the street, turning end over end, I heard its music, like the first time I heard her play music, there at her spring orchestra rehearsal, me the only one in the audience. She sounded so beautiful. I fell in love. Thief and adulterer, she said, all rolled into one. I jump onto the windowsill and go spread-eagled. Like a paratrooper at the jump door, I turn my hands inside out, my fingers pointing toward division. I'm set, ready to fly over, ready to ask the crow, what do I do now? What have I done? How do I get her back? Can I get her back? But he unfolds his wings and flies off, the bow in his beak.
1: Yeah, her prized possession is gone. (laughs) And so, <laughs> and so it's his,
2: mm-hmm, <laughs> right. mm-hmm, yeah.
1: mm-hmm. Not, not his possession necessarily, but, uh, the one that he wants to be in love with and stay in love with. Although, yeah, that's interesting. Well, you said this started out as a poem, right? And then kind of worked its way to prose.
2: Yes. It started as a poem and it started as an image of I seeing a crow on a rooftop and it was a flat rooftop.
1: And, um, uh, you've got this sort of theme of unhappiness going through here, uh, and uh, sort of the breaking down of this love affair. Um, y- you got all that out of seeing a, a crow. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs>
2: Believe it or not, there's there's more background here. Yeah. So so when I'm writing, like, and I know Faulkner said this a long time ago, basically you, you can observe, you have the experience yourself, or and you have your imagination. So I observed the crow, and, and there was a coffee cup and just other things that people could have thrown out there. But the, But then the imaginative leaf was... What doesn't belong there? And somewhere, uh, you know, and a bow for a double bass is large. It popped up there, and um, you know, I always liked origami. My daughter used to do it, and that was the. but, But as a poem, the the crow, the crow wasn't enough, and I knew that someone had thrown that bow, and I knew that when I wrote the poem, but the person wasn't in the poem yet. So when I made it into a prose poem, and this took this took a while, you know. I first wrote this poem maybe, I don't know, twelve years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went back to it. So don't ever throw anything away. Right, keep, there you go. Keep everything. And then I went back to it 12 years later and it just struck me. Let's talk about the person that threw the bow. I mean, the crow is interesting, but how did that bow get there? Yeah, and that's huh? that's when it ignited and it, and it had to have been thrown out of upset or anger or disgust. And so that's that started it.
1: Well, I think some of the better, you know, and, and I'm trying to learn more about poetry, read more poetry because I have poets on the podcast. I, the ones for me that I, I, I really find, you know, at first glance are the ones, okay, I, yeah, I understand that. I get that. That's great. But then I also like the ones like this one. I want to go back and read it again, right? Because they're things you miss the first time you go through it. Yeah. So, uh, and I guess that's part of, what uh, prose writers try to do and poets try to do, right, is get people to focus more intently on what they're, what's on the page. There,
2: that's that's right. I mean, and I, the first time I wrote it, it was even a single scene. There was no um, flashback to going around Lake Michigan to the other side. So I really was trying to to narrow it down to for the intensity, like you would a poem, but it wasn't. Uh, it it was. It wasn't working. I had, you had to have a little bit of background. Yeah. But, but yeah. there have been, like you would if it in a piece of prose, there had to have been a try before, you know, the conflict. We tried to make this work out, mm, you know, and now we're here in our little apartment. All
1: right. Well, we're, we're about out of time here, but I want you to do, this is going to be very short uh, because this is Charlotte Reader's Podcast. I want you to read your poem, Dear Charlotte. It, uh, it's only about uh, – Let's see, seven lines long, and uh, you wrote this, uh, I think, as part of the uh, 45th anniversary issue of Charlotte Magazine, and, uh, and uh, you, you packed a lot into a few, few lines, so uh, if, if you're ready, anytime you're ready.
2: Dear Charlotte, sing us your song, Queen City, in a green chorus of oaks and loblollies, light rail and bank towers. The firebird holds a thousand suns. The dawn kisses the skyscrapers. As we wake to trade and try on our dreams of the next 45 years.
1: Yeah, just so for the the listeners here, in that line, as we awake to trade and try on, it's not trying as in the street, but it's Mm -hmm. try on two mm-hmm. words, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> S-
1: That's sort of that, sort of that, uh, we're still trying to be something. Charlotte is, mm-hmm. we're still growing. We're still trying mm-hmm. to, to move forward. Uh, you do have the light rail, the bank towers, that firebird, that thing down uh, near the <laughs> back, yeah. where, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sing us your song, Queen City. When you think of Charlotte, uh, what song comes to mind for you?
2: Yeah. I don't think I have one, one song, uh, that, you know, identify Charlotte for me. I, I do think of the the music that I listen to, which would be primarily uh, blues and some jazz and uh, some bad pop music from the seventies when I grew up.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, uh, listeners, uh, this is all the time we have today. We've got this, as I said, the special episode on our Patreon channel, which is uh where members help, uh, help me help authors give voice to the written words. It came out in August, and Charles and I sat down, and we talked for a longer period of time about uh, his writing, his teaching, and he reads a few more things, and we talk about uh, poetry and prose. So uh, you might want to check that out. Charles, it's been great uh, having you on Charlotte Rears podcast. Thank you for participating. Thanks so much, Landis. Well, that's it for today another fine author giving voice to their written words.
0: Next Tuesday, we'll have another in-depth episode with readings and conversations about the written word and the writing life of a local or regional author.
1: But before then, be on the lookout for another under-the-covers episode where we do much the same thing we do here, but quicker and sometimes away from the
0: studio. Because there are just too many good authors. And
1: not enough time.
0: If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land.
1: And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter.
0: You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com.
1: And you can keep up with news about the show by joining our email list and engaging with us on social media. We promise not to spam you because, well, that takes too much time. And if you do join our email list, we'll give you a free ebook written by me. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Until next week, I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast.
0: Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina, now offering video visits so you can take control of your orthopedic care from the comfort of your home. Schedule online at OrthoCarolina.com. OrthoCarolina, you improved.